I, I'm just so grateful to the Lord uh, on, on so many levels here because here when you know, there's just a convergence, a kind of a, a God-orchestrated convergence here, right? Because Bobby comes uh, to the end of himself and his strength and his rope, and then you know, Jay's a part of this, and, and then, and then when, when uh, I'm just so grateful that when, when that conversation, whatever, whatever it sounded like, uh, was that Jay was able to say, well, I know a place where you can come, see? I know, I know a place where you need to be. And then, um, and, and that is, that is so important. When, when folks come to the realization that they need God and then, and then God sends someone else and says, well, I know where you, I, I know a community. Um, I know, I know a community. And, um, I've been reading a couple of books, a couple, <laughs> on this next uh, series, Conversations, and, and one of them is a book uh, it's written by a guy named Dan Kimball, and uh, it, it's a book that just pricks me. It's an ouch kind of book. It's called, uh, They Like Jesus But Not the Church, and, and it's, an, it's an ouch kind of book because there are, are many worshiping communities where, you know, some folks just would not feel welcome. Why? Because they're just not the right type, you know? Ouch! They like Jesus, but not the church. And uh, another book I've been reading is a uh, book uh, by the name of a guy. Last name is Burke, and it's called "No Perfect People Allowed." No perfect people uh, uh, creating a come as you are culture, and you know, come as you are and let Christ do His work. And so, that's what we need to be about. We we need to be a congr- uh, We need to be a no perfect people allowed culture. Uh, we need to be a come as you are and let Christ do his work kind of culture. That's what we need to be about. And so the, the question is, my prayer is, Lord, how can, how, how can a no perfect people allowed culture be sustained? Uh, you, you, have, you have charged me to help lead your flock here. But how can I as a leader help to sustain the kind of culture that you want? And, and uh, I found an answer to that question in today's message. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 is on page 742 of your church Bibles. This is your first time here. You don't have a Bible and you want a Bible. Take the navy blue Bible. Put your name on it. It's yours. 742. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. I want us to take a look at this parable that Jesus told, which, which really helps answer the question. And it's a make or break question. It's a, if we're going to have spiritual conversations, we've got to get the message of this right here. And if we miss the message, we're not going to have a conversation. There's no point in having conversations. We've got to get this. We've got to find the answer to this. How can we sustain a come as you are? How can that be sustained? We're going to look at, we're going to read this, look at the parable, talk about it, and see what it looks like in our life today. Verse 9 says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. 
God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Luke 18, 9 to 14. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Story of two men who, who went to prayer. Now, when we think about prayer, we're Often, I mean, when I think about prayer and I think about this parable, I'm thinking about, you know, what goes on in my quiet time when I'm at my desk and I've got my Bible open and I've got a journal and I'm journaling and praying and I'm all by myself and or I'm at the dining room table and I've got coffee and I'm praying and I'm going through my devotions. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is that which happened really every day Twice a day in first century Jerusalem. At nine o'clock and at three o'clock. The hour of prayer. And where in Jerusalem, if you lived in the city, at the hour of prayer, there would be the prayer call. And at those hours, God's people would you know, put a closed, we'll be right back sign at the store, and they would start streaming toward the temple. And nine o'clock, and wouldn't it be great? It would be wonderful to be able to, you know, to come to the, to be, to work and live close enough to this facility where you could just come, you know, twice a day. And you could come either in the morning or in the afternoon or both, or, or we come, we could see each other and pray together and be encouraged and then go back out. And that's what we're talking about here. And, and so it's, most likely the afternoon hour that's happening and the prayer call has been made and God's people come to this, to the 35-acre compound of the temple. We're in about 10 acres here at Windsor Road. This is 35 acres. It's huge. And then it wouldn't only just be the Hebrews who would come, but it would be Hebrews and non-Hebrews. But the non-Hebrews, the Gentiles, could only come a certain distance. They would have to stop because there was, there, was just the, there was just the court of the Gentiles. But then God's people would come and continue on. And they would get then to the bottom of these steps here. And at the bottom of these steps, then you would proceed 14 steps up to the court of Israel which was a court exclusively reserved for male Hebrews. And they would go up those 14 steps and maybe these two locked eyes with one another. We're not talking just two. We're talking hundreds would be coming up those steps and then they would go through and then they would see the main, the main 
courtyard of the temple and there they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to mingle there those would be just for the priests but they could see what's going on and there to your right there at about three o'clock you would see the altar and the priest would take this unblemished lamb and would slaughter that lamb and and put that lamb there up on that altar and the fire would consume the offering and it was unblemished lamb a perfect lamb and that lamb would give its life it was a substitute for the sins of God's people. And for one day, God's judgment would be withheld. See, that was a one day. And then the next day, the lamb would be slaughtered again. And then the next day, it was a substitute for the sins of the people. And the lamb would be consumed. And, and then there would be liquid incense that would be, that would be burned and poured on, on the fires. And then the mist and the incense and the smoke and the smell would rise. And those would represent the prayers of God's people. And hundreds there. And Jesus, it's almost like he's on a two-way mirror. And I'm kind of next to him, and he says, Randy, I want you to lock eyes on one of those worshipers there. It's a Pharisee. One of those worshipers, one of the persons who prayed was a Pharisee. Now, we've, you know, we've kind of heard that name enough to know that the Pharisees were, you know, there's just kind of a, there's just a demonization of Pharisees. Oh, evil. Pharisees, bad guys. Wicked Pharisees. Let's put a smile on that face. Evil, bad guy. Yeah, but you know what? I guarantee you that if you had a choice between your daughter marrying a Pharisee or a tax collector, which tax collector back then was like mob boss, okay? You would choose the Pharisee every time. Because every, not all of the Pharisees were, were jokers, <laughs> okay? I mean, Nicodemus, we're going to meet him in a few weeks, and he was a religious leader. And, you know, these Pharisees, they were, you'd want your daughter to marry, you know, a this kind of affair, because he's a, you know, he's a, got a respect, he's got a respectable title, respectable job, respectable education, erudite, well spoken of, just a you know, moral person. Uh, uh, go to Rotary. If there was, um, if, if, hey, if there was a united way in Jerusalem, this guy would have been the head of it. That's just the way it is. I mean, just this kind of a person. And, 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 I can guarantee you that there's not a church in this town that wouldn't want that Pharisee to be in their church. You know what? Look, it says, I, I give a tenth of all. He's a tither. There's not a church in town that wouldn't want this guy here. I give a tenth of all. This guy ties off the gross, not the net. Huh? He's a gross tither, right? People say to me, Randy, you know, uh, should I tithe gross or a net? Do you want a gross or a net blessing? What do you, it's your call. What do you want? This guy was, this guy, he was, he, all I get, my goodness, he, we would want him. We would want him. Jesus says, look, take a look. Look at him. Look at him. And, and, and he, he's done with his prayers. He's done with his worship. He's going Jesus says, Randy, look, he's going to go right back down those steps, right back down those 14 steps. He's going to go back to his rotary, I mean, back 
to his United Way. He's going to go back to his office, back to his neighborhood, back to his family, back to the dinner table. And he's not going to be any more saved going down those steps than he was coming up. He's not. He's not going to be any more saved. And you know the sad thing Jesus said, you know the sad thing is? He doesn't know it. He thinks that what he's doing works. He thinks it's working. So he's going to do, guess what? He's going to do the same thing the next day. And the next day, it's just going to be, it's going to be lather, rinse, repeat. That's it. Right here. He doesn't even know it. He doesn't even know it. He doesn't know that he has a problem. He doesn't know that his problem is the problem of righteousness. The problem of righteousness. What's, what's that, the problem? When was righteousness? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Because when we read the word righteousness, you see that word in verse 9, righteousness. When we think about that, I mean, we're in church, right? We think morals, we think character, we think virtues, those kinds of things. But the word itself is a legal term. It comes from the world of law and You are righteous when you meet the demands of the law. When you meet the demands of the governing authority, you are are declared. It's a status. It's a state. Righteousness. Righteousness. You have met the requirements of the law. Crosswinds Road here, Scottsdale, during the week, there's a vehicle that's pointing toward the church sitting on Scottsdale right there by the spot. Stop. It's a Crown Victoria. It's decorated. It's got party lights on top. <laughs> There's a well-dressed officer there. It's got a big star here. Cars goes zipping along, zipping along. You pass that and If that crown Victoria then does not follow you with the lights on, if it doesn't follow you, then you have met the demands of the law. Oh, but regularly, regularly, to the degree that our city coffers are flush, regularly, cars have this crown Victoria with the party lights following them. And why? Because they have not met the demands of the law. That's why, you see, it means to meet the demands, the requirements, to be, to be certified, to be certified, to be accredited. That's what we're talking about. You go to medical school, you get your medical degree, and then you do residency, and then you study for your what boards, and then you are board certified. You get your law degree, and then you apply to pass the bar, to get your bar card. That's what you get. And you are you're certified. You are accredited. You are approved. You are approved. It's a status. It's a state. And every one of us, Every one of us have this craving, have this need to be certified, to be righteous, to be accredited. We have that. We want approval. We're wired for that. We're like uh, that character that Robert Redford played in the movie The Natural, Roy Hobbs, who was, you know, he, he is an outstanding baseball player. And I think the heroine of the movie, uh, Glenn Close, uh, uh, you know, what makes you so driven to, to, to play baseball to the to the degree that you play and his response was so that when I walk down the street people will look at me and they'll they'll say there goes Roy Hobbs the best there ever was the best there ever was see we have that drive the best there ever was I want to be the best there goes Randy Bolting that's the best there ever was 
there. I have it. I feel it. I want it. I crave it. See, we're wired. Guess what? Our spiritual parents, Adam and Eve, had that in the garden. When, with perfect community, they had the, the, the holy approval of the creator of this universe. They had, they had it. And then the deceiver came and said, that's not enough. That's not enough. You need more than God's approval. And they took the bait, ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and you see, their sin was not just a matter of law breaking. Yes, of course it was. God had said this and they did that. But, 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 but part of the, it was that they were law making. They were saying, well, God's approval, God's accreditation is not enough. We need approval. We need, a, we need our own significance that, that's outside God. And, and friends, that is what our world has been pursuing ever since the fall. And it shows up in the Bible. So much so that I think one of the sorriest, saddest verses in the Bible is Judges chapter 21, verse 25, when it's the last Verse in the book of Judges, it says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. See, they make up their own standard, their own accreditation, their own approval. They had no king. Everyone did as, as he saw fit. And do you know what our world, you know, our, you know what our world calls that today? Diversity. Pluralism. I'm gonna do as I see fit, you do as you see fit, and we're just gonna... And you have to, and you have to tolerate, and, and, and all of this, is, and that's what's going on here. I tell you, that's what's going on here, and it's going on in this Pharisee here. The guy you'd want your daughter to marry is what's happening here. You say, where? Look, he says, I fast twice a week. Who told him to do that? Did God tell him to do that? No. No, you will not find a verse in the Old Testament that says that God's people had to Fast twice a week. No, there, there was only one day. Why twice a week? Well, you uh, Moses went up the mountain on a Thursday to get the law. He was gone 40 days, and he came back on a Monday. Okay? Mondays and Thursdays. But God's people were only commanded to fast one day out of the year. So you see what happens? See, see we make up our own standard of accreditation, of approval. We make that, and then we use that to judge everybody else. That's what we do. And that's why religious people are the hardest people to reach for the kingdom. As they set up their own. And do you know what the irony of the whole thing is? Where is he? Where's the guy? He's in the temple. What's going on? The sacrifice is going on. He doesn't get it that what's going on on that altar is for him. It's for him. He thinks it's for someone else. He thinks it's for these other folks. It's not for me. It's for that, it's for that tax collector. That's what it's for. It's for that tax collector. Well, we'll talk about him. Tax collector. He was a mob boss. He worked for the Roman Empire. Now, he was Hebrew as well, you see. Ooh. Perceived as a traitor. He was perceived as... Because the Roman Empire said, hey, we need $100 million from Judea. That's what we need. Okay? Who wants to go get $100 million? And so he would take bids, and they would contract it out, give it to the bid, best bid, and then they would say, okay, whatever you can get on top of that, well, that's your business. See you later. That's how it worked, which is a recipe for corruption. 
Huge corruption. Like Zacchaeus, you know, he was incredibly wealthy. Why could he pay back four times as much as what he owed? Because he was loaded. That's why. He'd been corrupt. My goodness, this guy was, this guy was filthy rich. He was seen as a traitor. But look at him. He comes up there. He goes up those steps. He's not even, he's not, he's standing off. Stands at a distance. Notice in these verses, we don't really see much about the Pharisee's posture. There's not much of a description about how he worshiped in terms of his body. We just, we just hear a lot of what's coming out of his mouth. But the tax collector is just the opposite, isn't it? We, we, we see a lot about his posture. He stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He was, and he beat him, suppressed, beat him. And then he says, God, have mercy. Oh, that word mercy. That word mercy is also the kind of word that describes what's going on on that altar. And so it's like he's saying, God, let what's going on on that altar right now be applied to me. And then he, and then he says this. This is, what, this is the literal, the sinner. The, it's like he's the only one there. It's like he was the only one who showed up. God, let, atone for me. Let that atonement, let that lamb be for me, the sinner. And then Jesus, in verse 14, renders judgment. See, see, there is a judge. And Jesus renders the judgment, I tell you. And what he said was shocking. Because the listeners are listening and I, they're, they're, I, I'm fully convinced that they're thinking to themselves, okay, Jesus is going to say about both of these clowns, you need work. You need, needs to improve. He doesn't say that. You know, both, you need, you need work. No, he says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified. Circle that word and then circle righteousness, same word. Went home accredited, went home certified, went home approved. This man, not the other, went home approved before God. And then Jesus says, why? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And, and you know why by now, don't you? It's because the Pharisees saw his goodness and thought he was safe. But the tax collector saw his sin and he knew he was lost. The Pharisee thought his goodness would get him into heaven. But the tax collector knew that only God could keep him out of hell. The, ta- the, the Pharisee trusted in his own morality. But the tax collector trusted completely in God's mercy. And, and, and I like how my teaching professor of preaching taught me about this parable. He said, Randy, this is a parable about a good man who went to hell and a bad man who went to heaven. And so I hope you don't miss this point, this this make or break point as to whether we're going to have conversations. And it's simply this. Jesus Jesus Christ qualifies those who cry for mercy, not those who crow about their merits. That's who Jesus qualifies. The, the, the likely convert is the one who cries for mercy. The unlikely convert is the one who crowed about their merits. 
That's the deal. So are you a mercy crier or a merit crower? That's, that's the make or break point. That's the question that's going to tip whether you're going to whether you're going to have be approved by the God of this universe. Hmm? Well, how can we as a church family make sure that we are mercy criers, not merit crowers? How can we do that? And, and I, I want to talk about that, and then we're going to pray. And um, the way to ensure that we are a congregation, that we're a community, not just individually, yes, individually, but as a community. The way to ensure that our church community is a community of mercy criers is this. And I love how, I love how one author puts it. We must, confront, we must confront the brutal facts of our current reality. We need to confront the brutal facts of our current reality. The brutal facts. And what's that? Well, number one, you need to, how, how do you do that? How do you, how do you confront the brutal facts? First of all, you need to get off by yourself. You need to get off alone. You need, you need to do what this tax collector did. You need to get off. Because when you are alone and it's just you and God, you don't have anybody to impress. You, you are who you are when you're by yourself. That's the deal. And when you get alone with God, very quickly you will realize that there's a difference. There's a difference between me and God. God is holy. God is righteous. God is perfect. And I'm not. And I'm not. I'm unholy. I've, I've, I've thought dirty thoughts, said dirty words, and done dirty deeds. God is holy, and I'm not. And then, and, and this, is, this is the most significant, brutal fact. <laughs> and let me say it. Look at me. It is not safe for an unholy person to be in the presence of a holy God. It's not. You are safer trying to swap out an elect, a live electrical box standing in ankle-deep salt water than you are in the presence of a holy God. And so, so what? So what? God, I need, I need to be in something. I need to be insulated. I need help. And the gospel, friends, is that God provides help. God in his love, God in his mercy has provided a lamb, not just one that would be slaughtered every day in the afternoon, but God sent his own son who in silence, except in prayers for forgiveness and in cries to God, God sent his own son who was pinned to a Roman cross and who received God's judgment upon him so that we would escape. So that that God treated Jesus like he would have treated me if I were to pay for my sins. Jesus, Jesus was that substitute offered once and for all and his sacrifice is sufficient. And so we who come together This is why we cry out for mercy. We cry out for mercy because of what God has provided through his son, Jesus Christ, for all of us, for all of us. God exalts those who cry out for mercy. He will humble those who crow about their merits. You see? That's God. That's, that's why we can have a spiritual conversation. That's why we can do it naturally and with a smile because we have so much mercy. That's why Bobby can get up here and talk because he talked with Jay who has been flooded with mercy and he got that mercy from someone else. 
You got your mercy from someone else, and we're just sharing what ultimately comes from the throne. God justifies those who cry out for mercy. And so as a result of that, then do we still, you know, do we still tithe? Yeah, we still do, but we don't do it to crow about our merits. We do it to God, thank you for your mercy, Dad. We still go to salt and light. Yeah, we do. Not to crow about our merits, but because God's given us so much mercy, we just want to share. It's why we go to the Dominican. That's why we serve. That's why we love. And, and that's why, that's why when God says that the tax collector is his child, that makes that tax collector my brother. And if God were to say that that Pharisee who, and the Nicodemus will see, he cries out to mercy, then you know what? Then we have a community where Pharisees and tax collectors of all classes and all races and all ethnicities and all backgrounds can come and as they together in all of their differences cry out for mercy, then they receive it and they are one community. And you know what that's called, church family? That is called better diversity. That's called better pluralism. That's what that's called. What the world offers will not deliver because it is not at the foot of the cross. And what God gives is free, but you have to humble yourself enough to seek it. Have you? Will you? Well, this is the series before the series. And we need to prepare ourselves. And the way to prepare ourselves is to come humbly in prayer and say, God, let the atonement, let Jesus be for me. Before I even talk about him, I need, I need. The preacher needs what's preached more than the congregation. So, I'm gonna pray. Um, Some of our leaders are gonna Follow me in prayer, and then we're going to sing, and I want to ask you if you'd pray to God. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's go to him now. Lord.